Welcome to Women Igniting Change, the place to be for women leaders and decision makers who are passionate about changing the world and determined to act. I'm your host, Robin Jorgensen, former corporate executive, global speaker, and founder and CEO of Women Igniting Change. Let's dive in. Hello, changemakers. Welcome back to the Women Igniting Change podcast. I have the privilege of introducing you to Jenny Malseed, who is in the studio today. So Jenny earned her MBA from the Yale School of Management. She's a former Peace Corps volunteer in Benin in West Africa. She's the former chief of staff to the CEO at Child Fund International. She's worked at IBM. And throughout her entire career, she has been passionate about transforming organizations to increase their positive impact on the world. And she currently sits as the VP of Strategy and Talent for Global Giving. Jenny, welcome to the show. Robin, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. So as I just mentioned, you've had a very diverse career journey from Peace Corps volunteer to roles in the nonprofit and corporate sectors. Yeah. How has this diverse background influenced your approach to leadership and strategy at Global Giving? Yeah, there's, um, I love this question. And there's probably three different things that I would, I would call on. Um, the first one is humility. So, um, Peace Corps is such a fascinating experience, but I joined right out of college and, you know, you're bright eyed and bushy tailed, you head over. And, uh, one of the th- first things you find is that there is all kinds, there are all kinds of important skills that you don't have and all kinds of critical life things that you don't know how to do. So there was a moment specifically when I realized, you know, I have this degree from a university. I can do spreadsheets. I could lead things, whatever. But I'm asking a five-year-old for help to do my laundry or buy a tomato or what have you, or I don't speak this language or, you know. And so just sort of that puts you back in your place. That humility um, is really important. And that has served me really well for the rest of um, my career. Um, the second thing one, the second one I would say is exposure. So yes, the Peace Corps, I worked in um, nonprofits as well. There's international exposure, a lot of different cultures. Um, but then as a management consultant at IBM, I had the opportunity to work with different leaders and different business units, solving problems and coming up with better ways to do things. I was really in the strategy space and a lot of change management. And I just had the opportunity to see so many different problems, opportunities, ways of doing things, leadership uh, approaches, management, et cetera. I was really exposed. So exposure would be number two. Um, And then the second one, I mean, the third one would be kindness. Um, I have been blessed to come across people who even at the height of their careers, even as high powered as they are, display kindness. And one example was I was supposed to interview an executive at IBM really well-respected guy, really, really busy, like in the chief marketing officer level, you know, kind of area. And he couldn't meet with me that day at the last minute. And he himself sent me an instant message and said, I'm so sorry. He didn't know me from Adam, right? Said, I'm so sorry. Uh, Can we reschedule? And you know, normally an assistant would do that. And I pinged his assistant and I said, is he always like this? And she said, yes, he's one of the kindest people I've ever met. And I said, wow, this is a highly respected person who's driving incredible results at a really big organization and he can take 20 seconds to be nice to me. And I, that just made an impression on me. And I've, there's been multiple examples of that. So, you know, having that kindness, feeling like you can drive for results, but also um, still be really kind. And so pulling those things together um, just really has shaped how I think about leadership and strategy. Love that. 
So in addition to being VP of Strategy and Talent for Global Giving, you also oversee the Race, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Initiative, which you yeah. call me. Is that correct, Ready? Ready. Mm-hmm. that. Tell us about the importance of this work and how your personal values and experiences have shaped how you lead that initiative. Yeah. So if I call back to what I was just saying about the values and experiences, um, you know, it really showed me that, uh, especially thinking back to the humility and the exposure, really showed me that diversity, there is so much richness in different perspectives. And every individual brings unique skills, brings unique expertise to all the problems in the world or anything that we're trying to do. And so our race, equity, diversity, and inclusion work is is some of the most important work that we've ever done and that that we will ever do. And one of the things we did when we started it is we um, really engaged staff and we launched a staff committee to help us shape what is our future state? What are our goals for Ready? So back in 2020 and 2021, thinking through what are we aiming for in the future and the really big picture? And then, and then where do we start? And we looked at who do we want to be and how do we want to act internally and how do we want to treat each other? How do we want to show up externally in the world? So there, there were those internal and external components. But something that we did that I think was really important is it can be very tempting to start focusing externally and say, we need to go do programs. We need to support racial justice, which we do absolutely. Right. But if we don't work on ourselves, that lacks authenticity, right? If you're out there saying something in the world and you're not doing the work internally, we had staff who said, I feel excluded. I feel marginalized. I feel like my, I can't really lift my voice in the way that I need to, which I think is common at organizations, right? Um, we said, well, we can't just brush that under the rug and then go off and, and do some things externally. So we did a lot of work internally, um, including really um, having some dialogues. We went through a difficult conversation series where we had trained facilitators really facilitate what we call difficult conversations about race, about colonialism in America and in the world. We do international development and some of the problems in the world are a result of our history, right? And having to talk about that. So that training has really helped and it's helped us, I think, have better, richer, kinder conversations, more engaged conversations with one another. And then that helps us to be more effective. Wow. I love that. So leading a team of, you know, 100 plus employees at Global Giving, um, the HR function of what you do, you know, that requires fostering an environment of collaboration, positivity, innovation. Can you share some strategies or practices that you've implemented to create that type of environment? Yeah, I mean, and I think, first of all, it's um, also really, it is HR um, and talent, but it's so integral to strategy because, um, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but how true is it that your employees are your greatest asset? And particularly in a social service organization or a nonprofit, um, our employees are what we have. That's it. That's the entire value that we deliver. So any strategy that we have by definition, has to engage our employees, um, has to empower them, enable them to change or do um, perform in in new and better ways so that we can have a greater impact on the world. Um, So employee experience is absolutely a a pillar for us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really thinking about, again, um, on this idea that good ideas can come from anywhere. So one of our, that's one of our values, right? But good ideas can come from anywhere. So 
some of this is, uh, I'd love to say like, oh, we did all these things, but some of it is organic and just creating these conditions um, and that people feel safe and comfortable and will put out ideas or will identify problems and then you can support them to go fix them. You know, one thing um, that I've really loved is that uh, internally on Slack, there's a lot of sharing of stories about our mission. There's a lot of, we have this thing called tacos. You can give tacos to people if they've done something great for you. And it's very public. I love that. It's, It's a little, it's a little emoji, but it adds up, it's tracked. And so I can say, Hey, Robin, here's a taco because you really helped me with that pitch deck. And that was awesome. And then everyone can like clap and, and, you know, high five it and whatever. And so it's just this like kind of culture of recognition that's really great. So and much. I didn't start it, you know, but it's there and we can promote it and keep it open. And then you asked about the connection to the mission. Um, one thing that we see is that uh, some of the teams that are really in touch with our nonprofit partners around the world, because uh, as you said, we work with thousands of nonprofit partners in almost every country in the world. Um, one of those teams started sharing a moment of bliss and they'll share like a quote from a nonprofit partner every Friday. They'll say it's our Friday moment of bliss. And then, you know, people can all see that. And so those are things that I didn't do, but, you know, as leaders, we can promote. And again, that kindness and that empathy and that raising voices goes a long way. Um, I think um, the other thing that I'm, another thing I'm proud of, so thinking about the employee experience, I already talked about the dialogues that we set up for those difficult conversations and those trained facilitators. That was really important. And we've been able to leverage those same facilitators for other conversations as well. So for example, we were doing town hall uh, with executives and we found that town halls can be very us versus them and very sort of gotcha and in a way that's not healthy. Right. And so we said, well, we still want to answer people's questions. They have questions that we want to answer. But we also want to promote connection and dialogue. So what if we did part of the town hall as a Q&A and we collect questions and people can upvote them so that we're getting the most important questions, not just the loudest voices? But then what if we also pair that with some dialogues where you have an executive with some colleagues that maybe they don't normally get to interact with and they have a facilitated conversation and staff can give their feedback and ask more questions like in a sort of lower risk way? And so that's been great as well. So it's like that, you know, that experience and that connection in these smaller groups. So I think the other thing I'd love to say about employee experience is, you know, as a leader right now, the bar is getting higher and higher and higher. Um, Employee expectations have really shifted dramatically, even in the last five to 10 years, in terms of what they're looking for from their employers and what they're expecting. Um, I saw some research a couple months ago that shared that younger generations, um, not only do they want to work somewhere where their values um, align with the organization, but that they see their work as the most important place to live out their values. And on one hand, I, you know, I'm a little bit older. I got to give it to them because you spend so much time at work. So that makes perfect sense. Like you, if you're going to spend all that time, you want to do it in somewhere that aligns with your values. Um, but the specificity that people are looking for in terms of what is my company doing? I believe X and X cause. What is my company doing about that? Is again, it's a very high bar. And even at Global Giving, sometimes we can struggle to, to meet that. I think the other thing is that employees are looking for what am I doing day to day in my job that is supporting me living out those values? 
And so with this high bar, you know, on the global giving side, we're always talking about that and really thinking about how are we connecting people to our mission and then inviting them to advise us on how we handle really sticky situations and causes that, um, you know, there's a lot of times where we want, we need to make a statement or we need to speak out. Um, and, and we're looking to our employees to help us with that. The pivot then that I would make is that for companies, um, Global Giving also offers employee engagement programs. And one of the things that we offer is that we, uh, again, we can help companies uh, with their grant making, identifying, vetting, and um, identifying organizations for their grant programs if they want to do corporate social responsibility grants. But we also allow them to use what's called our API to pull Global Giving's entire interface into their organization so that employees can be donating to nonprofits, to causes that they care about through their work, through their paycheck, et cetera. And that can be kind of a partnership with the, um, with the employer. Employees can also engage on, hey, we want to really respond to this disaster. This is important. Mm-hmm. We heard this horrible thing happened. And there's a direct connect then between leadership and between those employees. And that can happen. And then Global Giving can make it happen. So it, it, it really kind of, we do it, it goes back to that authenticity I was talking about earlier, but it's, we, um, you know, really try to do things internally and in how we engage with staff, but we also offer these programs for corporate partners to help drive their employee engagement, which we know is so important for them as well. I love all of that. I mean, everything you just said, whether you began it or you didn't, all of those little nuggets fosters that environment of engagement. I love that. Yeah. So all the hats that you wear, and you wear several, what do you love most about what you do? Um, <laughs> that's a tough question. I'll try to answer it. Um, I think if I had to boil it down, um, you know, global giving is a place that w- one of the things that we do is we, because we have partners in almost every country and in so many communities in the world, we are often um, able to be on first responders to disasters or humanitarian crises. Mm. Um, and because if you imagine, if you are in a nonprofit, in a community, and there's a natural disaster, even if your mission is education, you're responding to that disaster. Wow. Even if your mission is animal rescue, you're responding to that disaster. But that's just how it works, right? And one of the things we do is that we have a team that reaches out to our partners. We're constantly tracking. And when something happens, we're reaching out to those partners and saying, what do you need? How can we help? And we have a very easy way for them to kind of submit requests and that we can get funds to them really quickly, which is great because we got donors and partners on the other side going, I heard about this. I really want to help. What can I do? And so for me, that's one of my favorite parts of the job is there's so many terrible things happening in the world all the time. And yet I know I've got my people working and helping to make it a little bit better. So I think that's number one. Um, And then the second one is I get to work on some really thorny leadership challenges, just like you would in any leadership role in any organization. But at the other end of that is these communities and nonprofits. So yes, we're raising more money, but then I get to hear about like, the work that it's doing. Um, and so it's the same, same work. And yet the end of it, it has a, a really bright light. Yeah. Nice. So one of the other values that global giving has is listen, act, learn, repeat. 
So can you share an example of how this value has driven positive change within global giving and the social sector at large? Yeah. Oh, I love this question. Um, I think there are so many examples. I think probably my favorite one is, you know, global giving. So we've been around for about 20 years and we were um, started, we were crowdfunding before crowdfunding existed. So just a little bit about our origin story. There were two um, uh, people from the the World Bank and they were sitting at the World Bank and saying, well, wait a minute. I met this woman in Kenya who's doing this amazing work, but it's really small and nobody's heard of her. And she said, can't you help us? And it was like, well, we should be able to, right? Like you're doing great stuff. And, and then it was also a reaction to, I'm, you know, 35 years old and I'm making decisions for millions of dollars sitting at this big institution. Why am I making, like, this is, something's wrong here. Like the people who have the expertise are not in this. So that was sort of the the genesis of global giving and how do we identify those really great change makers around the world as nonprofits and then how do we connect them with resources? And so it was crowdfunding before crowdfunding was a thing. Um, but throughout that time, um, it, you know, there was a lot of like, can we prove our business model? Really, how is this going to work? Right. And so they came up with all kinds. This is even before I was there came up with all kinds of different ideas. And one of the things that they came up with was what they called our accelerator program, which was how to get nonprofits in the door. So how do you um, really attract nonprofits? And then how do you make sure that they're going to be successful on your platform? So um, the team would run them through kind of a, a mini campaign, some training, and they had to be able to attract a certain number of donors. Say it was like 40 new donors and raise $5,000 or something like that. And that was really great, um, except what we found on the other end of it was that really favored nonprofits who spoke English as a first language, already had donors in the U.S. or the U.K., already had some fundraising training. And then we said, that's not really equitable because that's really what we want to be doing. Um, and so uh, I have a colleague who gives a talk on this and she says, so we had this really successful thing and we burned it to the ground. <laughs> we did. We felt it. Because we said... It's not only, it's not only, um, you know, not serving our needs, but it's also in some ways doing harm. It's sort of perpetuating harm because there are these nonprofits that really could use us or really coming to us and, and they're not able to get in the door. So um, the team has really redesigned that and they now have something called the Pathways Program. And we're really focusing on who really is looking to get on our platform, who could benefit most and then mapping out journeys. What's the journey of different types of nonprofits? What might they need? And how do we support them? How do we make sure that we're providing language support? How do we make sure that um, you know more people can access? How do we help them reach more donors if they don't already have them? Things like that. And so that was a big LALR moment. But I also think it, it's important for the sector, both because it goes back to what are we really trying to do here? Uh, it's not just about solving the easiest problems. It's about solving the problems that really need to be solved. And that's harder. Um, and it's it's also okay to say like, mm, that didn't work. And let's talk about that, right? Like be very public about our failures or our mistakes and so that we can learn from them. Yeah, I love that. So this concept of community-led change is central to your mission. Yeah. Find an example of how this approach has not only empowered communities, but the way that it's transformed the way that organizations, donors, and individuals view their role in it. Yeah. So um, 
we uh, when we talk about community led change, just to be clear, as I said, we're talking about really communities being the ones that are driving change. And um, in particular, uh, what that means is that we need to put, put resources and decision making and let's even say power in the hands of those who are closest to the problems. Uh, international aid is not set up to do that, right? Yeah. Um, International aid can be uh, very paternalistic. It can be very, we have the answers. You poor people just need our money. Um, And there's actually, and and international aid and nonprofit sector as well, there's actually a really hilarious video that someone made a couple of years ago that's circulating that says, it's called, if pizza shops were run like nonprofits, um, or, you know, the donors. And so this woman's standing in a pizza shop and a donor, different donors come in. And one of them's like, well, I need a hundred pizzas, but I see that they cost $10, but I'm only going to pay eight because I've done some analysis and, you know, you only need $8. And the woman's like, I, but that's not going to cover our costs. And then, well, you'll have to cover them some other way because that's overhead and we don't like that. And then another, you know, person comes in and he's like, that guy's crazy, but you know, I'm going to order 5,000 falafel. She's like, but we don't make falafel. Like we make pizza. Why are you? And that's how nonprofits are treated. Right. And so when we did this community led research a couple of years ago, and we said, what is it, what does being community led really mean? And how can funders, including global giving, but more broadly, better support community-led approaches. And we came up with some community-led commitments for global giving that are posted on our website that we talk about all the time, but we also developed some community-led commitments uh, or guidelines for funders. And so when we work with corporate, we work with um, over, we've worked with over a hundred corporate partners. And when we work with them, um, we talk to them about, for example, providing flexible funding funding operating support. So a lot of times people really want to say, well, I want to build a school because I can see the school and I can see that right as an example, but the community maybe needs something else and maybe they need to pay salaries and maybe they need to pay what we might call overhead, but that's actually driving programs. So providing flexible funding, making multi-year commitments so that organizations can plan. They're not constantly chasing money, right? Inviting organizations to say what they need um, et cetera, and having that relationship with them. So those are all kinds of things that we are trying to talk to the sector about doing. And we have some great examples. Our last um, corporate partner survey said, I think it was around 60% of our corporate partners surveyed said that their philanthropy and philanthropic approaches had been influenced by our community-led guidelines. So, you know, it takes time. Like we have to go in there and build those relationships. Um, but once you do, people go, oh yeah, this is a better way. Yeah, I, that I love that. Like the work that we do in East Africa and Rwanda. Similarly, you know, before just diving in, we conducted listening tours because mm-hmm. we want what we call a voice of the system and what's really needed, and not us coming in with our Western lens and saying, "Here's what you need," because that's not the right approach. Yeah. So, in addition to you working with organizations, you also provide guidance and key resources in the nonprofit sector. So, can you share some of the tools that you give them to help them amplify their impact? Yeah, so we also uh, frequently survey our nonprofit partners and ask them what they need so that we make sure that we're meeting their needs. And um, by and large, the most important thing that they're looking for is funding. So I don't want to gloss over that. You know, 80% of them, I think in our most recent survey, 80% of our nonprofit partners said that 
direct funding support was their number one, number one, two or three request of something that they needed. Um, but there's a lot that's adjacent to that as well. So um, as an example, we run um, several campaigns during the year. So Giving Tuesday is one that everyone's heard of, right? But we run other campaigns as well. And when we run a campaign, we invite nonprofits to participate. We give them training um, on fundraising. We give them social media packages so that they can um, you know, have hashtags and tweets and things like that to post. Um, and then we also often offer matching support, which is a real big incentive. If you're fundraising and you can go to your donors and say this, this will be matched. Um, so that is uh, a big piece of um, value that we offer. I think also on the direct funding side, you know, these partnerships with corporate partners and our gift cards also unlock a lot of resources for nonprofit partners. So um, we have corporates who want to give grants and, in certain cause areas and um, our nonprofits are already vetted and they can give grants to them. We also have these gift card programs, which are great, um, which uh, a lot of companies give to their employees or to their um, customers, what have you. And it's, it's such a better gift, especially I'll say at the holidays are coming up. So I could talk more about that, but it's the best gift because you can give someone a gift card. They can go on Global Giving's website and pick from one of thousands of partners, any cause that they care about and donate. So the direct funding is a big piece of it, just to say. But we also do some capacity building, so other types of capacity needs for organizations. Um, we also do like um, another thing that they've really asked for is visibility mm -hmm. and credibility. So being associated with global giving and being vetted by us is a way to say, hey, we're a good bet. You should donate to us. And then um, we've like our marketing team this year had a, a group of fellows that they selected and was both training them in storytelling and then promoting their stories. Um, and that's been really exciting. So storytelling. And then the last one is connections to other organizations. So a lot of nonprofits, they're out there in their community. And you can imagine it's very lonely. It's mm -hmm. like, I think I might be doing some good stuff, but I'm looking for people to talk to. So we've done, we've done mentoring programs, which has been great. We'll pick a nonprofit that's really, um, you know, like a nonprofit leader that's very successful, has a lot to offer. We'll pair them up with another nonprofit or a few other nonprofit leaders and do like a mentoring program and some cross learning. And that's been really wonderful. Amazing. So I have to say as an organization that has purchased the gift cards from Global Giving for our clients and customers, and we've done it for raffles, we've done it for all kinds of things. The response that we get from that gift to them is unlike it's it's not a copy mic it's not a plant it's so because one it's the ethos of who we are but the receiver they just love getting those gift cards because then they feel like they're igniting change on their side too and they get to choose from thousands of organizations yeah. and make something that's meaningful to them so we love being partners of global giving in that capacity as well yeah that's great so you have raised over $872 million for community-led programs all over the world in pretty much every country on the planet. Yeah. For individuals who want to make a difference, what advice do you have for effective and impactful giving for them? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, some of it is related to some of the things we were similar to some of the things we were talking about earlier with um, the corporate partners. So where you can, I think, find those community-led organizations. Um, you know, we 
share a statistic that right now, humanitarian aid, and when a crisis hits, only 2% of the funding goes to a community-led organization. Now, that's not to say there is a role for these large institutions like the Red Cross to play. There's nothing wrong with that. But to imagine that only 2% is getting to those organizations that are on the ground. And again, like I said before, if you are in that community, you are responding to that disaster. You're helping your neighbors, you're, right? You're changing what you're doing. How do we make sure that more money is going to those organizations? So I think one is like finding those community-led organizations. The second one is um, offering flexible funding or operational support. Being Be willing to make an unrestricted gift. Don't hesitate. Find a good organization and then trust them to spend the money. Don't, you know, don't worry about, well, is it going to this or that? Just, you know, give them that unrestricted gift. Set up monthly contributions. So again, they can make monthly contributions. You know, one of my personal favorite organizations, um, I is, you know, something I started giving two years ago and I set up monthly donations and I've been doing that for years. And that's just like a, a commitment that they can count on and that I know that I'm making. Um, and then yeah, the last one would be spread it to your friends. So it's it can be something that we do quietly, but you should talk about it. If you find a really great organization that you love, like promote it, talk about it on social media and encourage other people to donate as well. Yeah, those are amazing tips. Thank you for those. So as an advocate for transforming aid and philanthropy, what are some of the key changes or shifts that you think are essential to better serve those communities globally? And how can our listeners actively become engaged in those changes? Um, yeah, so I think um, I've already talked about the importance of community-led and really uh, shifting the emphasis where we can to these community-based organizations, getting the funding directly there. I think that cannot be said enough. Yeah. There are so many wonderful organizations and causes out there that are not getting um, the funding that they need. I think another thing that we talk about a lot is where can you, there's a lot of what you might call intersectionality. So if you think about um, an organization, again, in a community, if there is a climate crisis in the world, that is impacting their ability to do all kinds of different things, whether it's impacting, we talk about climate justice, right? It's impacting children's lives. It's impacting women, right? And so, you know, where you can, if there's cause that you care about that's broad like that and really investing in cause or a cause fund that then experts can help direct funds where they need to go. Um, so I think that, that that can be really helpful. Um, the other thing I'll add is that it's important to, when you can, um, do a little bit of research and really think about um, what are some things that may not be getting attention in the news. Something that we see a lot of is news-driven giving. And on one hand, we appreciate it. So my personal story, uh, Global Giving raised millions and millions of dollars. I think at last it was over $65 million for uh, relief of the Ukraine crisis. Ukraine is a very personal to me because my husband, my mother-in-law is Ukrainian. My husband's family is very much, he was raised in a, you know, a family where they were going to Ukrainian Catholic church, doing Ukrainian things on weekends. We still celebrate the holidays. It's very important to his identity. So it's very important to me. So when Russia attacked Ukraine, I was overwhelmingly, of course, in support of that cause and, and the fund. At the same time, what we saw is because the media also was so in support of that, 
it really pulled funding rather than creating more funding. It redirected funding that might have gone to the famine in East Africa, for example, which was also or the crisis in Syria. And there are things I can talk about in that. There's racism, there's uh, prejudice, there's colonialism, there's all kinds of things going on, right? And um, what one small thing that Global Giving did is we said, all right, um, how can what can we do? What small part can we play to redirect or um, you know bring back some uh, visibility to some of these causes that are getting overlooked? So we created a Hope in Crisis Fund, which we seeded with five hundred thousand dollars. I think we've since raised $250,000 more. And we selected partners in Yemen and the Democratic Republic of Congo who are doing really, really difficult work that is just not getting the visibility it needs. So that's the second thing is find those things that aren't getting the visibility. I think the the last one I'll say is there is this, um, there's been a lot of talk about impact and how important it is. There's um, these terms called... uh, effective altruism, for example, that have gotten really popular. There's randomized controlled trials. These things are are not bad. There's a place for them in the sector, absolutely. And sometimes the hardest problems are the hardest ones to see impact, track impact, to have metrics, et cetera. And so if we put everything into one bucket, then again, you end up, as as someone I worked with years ago said this, and it's so true, if we only do things where we can see impact, we're not doing the hardest things. We're not working with the hardest prob- uh, popula- population to serve or the harvest- hardest problem to solve, excuse me. So, right. you know, just make sure that you are, you do want to work with a trusted organization. You do want to find, make sure that they're, you know, spending your money effectively and generating impact. But, you know, be careful about wishing for too much, too many fancy reports, too many metrics, et cetera, because then you might be missing um, some really great things. Such great advice. So as you mentioned, the holidays are around the corner. So how can our listeners become more involved in global giving? Well, uh, our website is the best place to go. Um, if you go on our website, globalgiving.org, you can see um, you have immediate access to all of these different cause areas. You can search by Project. So you can search by nonprofit organization. You can search by project. You can search by cause area. So, and we have them aligned to the sustainable development goals. So, if you're familiar with the UN sustainable development goals and you think, I really care about child protection, (laughs) you can search for that. And then again, we have these funds. So, if you um, care about disaster relief, and by the way, to be clear, we do disaster relief, but we also support long-term recovery because that's another thing that happens is the money flows in and then it leaves. So we make sure that we're helping communities prepare for disasters, but then also be set up for success. So you can invest in that. So I think the number one thing would be to go to the website and just explore and play and, and see what you see there. Yeah. And as someone who's used that website, it's extremely user-friendly and it's so inspiring just to look through the website and see the work that it's being done and all the organizations that you can lean in and support. Yeah. So mm-hmm. definitely globalgiving.org. Jenny, thank you so much. This was amazing. For our listeners, we will have Jenny's full bio in the show notes and we will see you back here next time. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Women Igniting Change. I know creating change matters to you. If you enjoy what we talk about on the show, please take one action today and share it with someone who could benefit from listening. 
Until next time, keep standing up and speaking out for what matters.